Good morning. Evening, whatever. So it's cold out there. <laughs> Got that out of the way. Fine. We all know it's cold. Who's the guy in the shorts? Okay. Do you have pants? Excellent. All right. Julie, our uh, secretary here at the camp, was very concerned about this. So here's your admonition. Wear pants. There you go. Julie, Julie, I've, I've done my job. Um, good evening, everybody. My name is Nick Oliver. For the past uh, 15 or so months, my wife and I have lived on the east coast of Iowa, a uh, beautiful town called LeClaire. Have you ever heard of the American Pickers? Their shop is right down the street from our house. If you ever come there, you'll be like, oh, it looks bigger in person. No, it looks much smaller in person. TV makes it look really big, but it's very much not. We serve at LeClaire Baptist Church. Before that, I was the pastor in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Figured I'd get a response from that. Thank you very much. Grew up uh, down in Illinois, but I root for the University of Michigan. Where's my Michigan contender? Hail to the victors. That's right. Not the stinking Spartans. And you Hawkeyes are okay, too. Cyclones, eh, I'm just kind of, eh, whatever. Anywho, let's get out to real, real life here. In 2001, I was a contender. How many of you were not alive in 2001? See, that's the thing. I don't even introduce myself as a contender anymore because it's like, 2001, that's way a long time ago. Yes, it was. So anyway, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. My wife, Jessica, is here. Wave to everybody, Jessica. Eh, thank you very much. Now you know all about me. Perfect. Let's go. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this evening. Let me, uh, let me ask you a question to begin with. What do you need? What is, your, what is the biggest need in your life right now? Anybody? Seriously? You, my friend? Pants. That's the biggest need in your life. It's stupid cold outside, okay? Biggest need in your life? Pants. Biggest need in your life, what is it? God, what else? Peace. Hmm, interesting. What else? Oxygen, question mark, maybe? Okay. A what? Wi-Fi. <laughs> good luck with that. I'm a speaker, I don't even get the Wi-Fi around here, so good luck with that. Anyway... What do you think your biggest need is? Whatever you, what, what was the first thing that came to your mind when I said that or when you saw it on the screen? That sometimes gives you an indication of where your heart or where you're, where you're fixated on, what you think about. If I would tell you that your biggest need and that your biggest problem is that you're dead, what would you say? If I told you that your biggest problem was that you're dead, what would you think about that? You might go, well, you're crazy because I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting up, I'm breathing, I ate today, all those things, I'm not dead. The Bible would tell us that without Christ, you are dead. And I guarantee some of you here tonight are sitting there and you are dead. And some of you sitting here tonight have been dead, but you're not anymore. And not in the zombie way. What is our fascination with zombies, by the way? I don't understand that. But we are truly dead. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, to be real serious about this for just a moment, I've been to several funerals in the past couple months. 
And when you're a pastor, sometimes you get to do funerals. Sometimes you get to be involved in funerals. Sometimes you just attend funerals. And there's a lot of different funerals. Many of you have been to funerals. And they can be very, very frustrating for a pastor sitting there. Because you hear somebody talk about how great so-and-so was, but you don't share the gospel at all. Or that they're talking about all the hope that they have, but they never talk about what, where the hope truly comes from. So tonight I hope that we talk a little bit about, from Ephesians chapter 2, the first seven verses, we talk where actual hope comes from, and we see that Jesus provides our biggest need. Because your biggest need and my biggest need is not more money, it's not a car, it's not a job, it's not this, it's not that, it's not the next thing, it's Jesus. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for bringing us safely to camp. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Lord, I, I pray tonight especially that as we focus more on very serious matters, and as we really get into your word tonight, Father, may your Holy Spirit be working in hearts and lives to convict. Father, may it not be my words, may it not be my whatever, but Lord, may it be your word. Because, Father, for far too long, far too many of us have just relied on what someone has told us about Jesus. And that it's not become personal about what we will do with Jesus. So, Father, give us a time of study tonight that you would give us focus and attention to your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're in Ephesians chapter 2 with me tonight, you can follow along as I read here in the first seven verses. Because we want to see that Jesus does, in fact, provide our greatest need. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 7 verses. Follow with me as I read them out loud for you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. Verse 4 being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated with us, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we're going to look at tonight, obviously, is help. I'm dead. And you may go again. No, I'm not dead. I'm sitting right here. But what does the Bible tell us? Now, if I had a bunch of time here, I would have started in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. I love Ephesians chapter 1. If you know Jesus as your Savior, I challenge you to read Ephesians chapter 1 at least once a month. It is a tremendous chapter to figure out, to remind yourself who you are in Christ. But he comes to chapter 2, the Apostle Paul does, and he says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. We were dead. Now, can you be kind of dead? 
No, you can't be kind of dead. You're either dead or you're not dead, right? So Paul here says you are dead. That's the definite. You, 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 you can't be sort of, kind of, maybe dead. You're all the way dead. And what do dead men not do? They don't tell any tales. They don't do anything. They are without any possibility, any hope. And Paul says this was our condition before Christ. And folks, let me, let me just be really loving but very blunt. Some of you here tonight are sitting here and you're dead you don't know Christ as your Savior. There's a remedy for that. We've already read it. We'll get to it here in just a moment. So he says that you're dead. That's our natural condition. See, thousands of years ago, there was a really a guy named Adam. There was really a gal named Eve. God really made them. That's actually how the world began. It wasn't billions and billions of years. It was God spoke it. It happened. There was a guy named Adam, a guy named Eve. They sinned. And from there, the entire human race has been plunged into sin. You're guilty of sin, I'm guilty of sin. That's the way that it is. That's why Paul can say here, you were dead. I'm going to change it for just a minute. Some of you are currently dead in your trespasses and your sins. Now, when you see the word trespasses and sins, it's what you have done wrong. It's what I have done wrong. It's the personal things that we are accountable for. How many of you are sinners? Good. All right. Some of you aren't quite sure. There was, there was a couple of like, eh, I think so. Yes, you are. Why? The Bible says so. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Every one of us. From your youth leader, any, and we are all sinners. And the sins and trespasses here, it's what I have done and what I'm personally accountable for because of what I've done. It's the conscious decision that I'm going to say, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. You've been there, right? Don't do that, your mom says. Don't do that, your teacher says. Don't do that, your friend says. But you say, I know what it is, but... Let me just tell you, as a pastor sitting in, in my office, I've had more than one person come into my office and sit across from me and pour their heart out about some issue in their life, and they say, Pastor, I know it's wrong, but. That's a large but. Because it is right there. They're saying, I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. Pretty harsh, right? He's not done there. Now, look at what he says here. Verse 2 and verse 3. Notice, if you would, the couple of the words that Paul keeps repeating here. First of all, verse 2. In which you once walked. Now, when you see walked there, it's the idea of this is the way that you live. Okay? This is the way that you once lived or walked there in verse 2. Following the course of this world. Following the prince and the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me just fill in that for you. In verse 2, if you don't know, the prince, the power of the air, that's Satan. So basically what Paul is saying here is, you are following, I was following. Before I knew Christ as Savior, this is who I followed. I followed the world, and I followed Satan. And let me just tell you this, we're all followers. You're going to follow somebody. How many of you, this is the first time you've ever been to camp? Anybody like that? Nobody? 
We're all, we all know. Oh, there, 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 there it goes. So you've all been here before, right? So you know where everything is, basically. Okay. I'll tell you, when I was a contender here for the first time, the first time I ever f- set foot on this campground was for counselor training before the summer I was going to be a contender. And as we were turning that hill there, excuse me, turning that corner out there by the old golf course, and I saw this camp kind of come out of nowhere, I'm like, this is not what I grew up in. This is a little bit different. So I remember getting on campground for the first time, and I said, I got to follow somebody because I don't know where I'm going. Then a couple summers ago, my dad came up for the first time to camp. And I love my dad, but, but sometimes dad gets lost easy. So for the entire day, I'm trying to figure out where is my dad. Literally, it's like Marco Polo with my dad. Has anybody seen Ken? Have anybody seen him? I don't know where he is. And all of a sudden, he'd just show up someplace. I'm pretty sure he's a warlock or something. Just kind of, poof, appears out of nowhere and then disappears. I didn't understand it, but I had to keep finding my dad because I knew my dad would get lost. So he would, like, follow me. And you will follow somebody. Guarantee it. Now, I don't care how much of an individual you think you are, and I'm, I'm tough, I'm all that, and a bag of chips, whatever. You're going to follow somebody. Let me do a little pop quiz here for you. Twitter. Anybody have a Twitter handle? Ooh, not very many. Okay. At the Nick Oliver. That's my Twitter handle. You can follow me. I post like three things a year. So there you go. I'm, I'm a great follow, okay? Who do you think is the most followed person in tw- on, on Twitter? Who? President Trump? Not even in the top five. The Rock? That's a pretty good. No? Close. What? President Obama, no, he is in the top five, though. But do you know this lady? Her name is Katy Perry. She grew up in a Christian home. She came to camp very similar to where you are right now. And right now she wants absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. But she has almost 107 million followers on Twitter. Okay? How many of you are on Instagram? See, I'm not on Instagram. I, I'm not, I don't want to take a picture of my food and send it to you. You don't, you don't care what I'm going to eat. Who do you think is the most popular follow on Instagram? What? It's this fine gentleman. You're going, what? Who's that? It's that fine gentleman. That fine gentleman? His name is Cristiano Ronaldo. He's, the, he's probably the best soccer player in the world. I, whoa, 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 whoa. I know Lionel Messi. I know all those guys. Blah, blah, blah. Soccer, whatever. I'm just telling you, Cristiano Ronaldo is the most widely followed person on Instagram. And over 150 million people want to know what Cristiano Ronaldo had for supper tonight. They're going to follow him. There are 150 million people that want to know what's going on with Ronaldo. He's so famous, he only goes by one name. You know, someday I want to be like that. I'm just Nick. And everybody will just know. No, it'll never happen like that. But Ronaldo here is an incredibly great soccer player, for whatever soccer is worth. But 150 million people want to follow him. And the Bible talks about here that you're going to follow somebody. 
And here's who you follow before you knew Christ. Some of you sitting here tonight, you're still following Satan. You're still following this world. You're still following in what you want, in verse 2 tells us, in Ephesians chapter 2. So ultimately, they followed the world and Satan. And then let's look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived by our flesh. That's what we wanted to do the most, so that's what we do the most. I'm going to teach you something tomorrow morning, so come back tomorrow. And we're going to look at a phrase I want you to remember, that it works 100% of the time. That's what we call in the business a tease. What does he say there? This is who you're following. So you hit that subscribe button to Satan, Satan, and yourself. Continues in verse 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, we're all in the same boat. Everybody who's ever breathed on the face of this earth is a sinner by nature. We are truly born that way. Ultimately, the Bible calls us that we are the children of wrath. The children of wrath. That is who we are by nature. Folks, this is a dire picture I want to paint right now for you, okay? And I'm not here to preach you out of your salvation. I don't believe in that. I believe very much in the, in, in, in the, in the call of God to salvation. But I also believe very much that some of you may be sitting here that have heard from the time that you were four, five, and six years old that, oh yeah, you prayed a prayer when you were four and you're all good. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, I was young when I accepted Christ as my Savior, but I really didn't truly understand it for myself until I was significantly older, in my teenage years. If there's any doubt in your mind, if you're sitting here going, oh, you know, mom tells me that I accepted Christ. What does that mean? Some of you may have said, well, I, I walked an aisle one time, and so the pastor prayed with me and said, my sins are forgiven. Good to go, right? What does that mean? What does it mean? The, Paul, Paul here is painting the picture of you are dead. It's not like you're, you're not that great, but you're okay. So, so Jesus paying for your sin and for my sin, took us from children of wrath, like it says in the end of verse 3. Because this is where we all once lived. So this is bad news. This is terrible news. This is your biggest need. This is my biggest problem. This is your biggest problem. Is that we were dead, or we are dead. But you can live. And I hope you maybe caught the tone of my voice, perhaps, as I read verses 4 through verse 7. So here's the big contrast. Verse 4, but God. God intervened. God stepped in. God made the difference when nobody else could. You can't save yourself. I couldn't save myself. I, I couldn't do enough right. I couldn't do enough good. I couldn't make the scales balance. I am dead. How do you make a dead person alive again? 
I mean, we read about how people sometimes get shocked back into breathing, and some people are on a... But when you're really dead, like, do you ever walk through a cemetery expecting somebody to actually come back? No, because they're dead. I had a funeral for a gentleman a couple of months ago. He was close to 90. He used to be the mayor of our town. When we went out to the cemetery and when they put Vern's casket in the ground... I didn't go back the next day going, well, I wonder if Vern's going to come back today. Because he's dead. So there's no hope for you if you're dead, except for God. What does verse 4 say? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even, catch verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Remember that verse, that, that, that word trespasses? From verse 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So verse 5 is the contrast. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him at the, in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But you can live. Here's the contrast. Only God can do anything about our situation. So thank the Lord. Those two words are right there in verse 4. But God intervened. He stepped in. He did something about it. There's a bunch of different illustrations that we could use for that. But nothing is sufficient. Because all of, the, all of the illustrations that we use, like the person throwing the lifeline or throwing the... It, you're still alive if you're in the water sinking. But folks, we were all dead. But God stepped in and changed it. But God stepped in. Now, verse 4 continues. It says that God is rich in mercy. That's his motivation. He's rich in mercy. And this word rich isn't like, well, I got a few bucks. No, he is unfathomably wealthy. He's rich in his mercy. And then verse 4 says, because of the great love with which he loved us. That's the basis of why he did it. He loved us. He loved us. He loved us. And without that love, without that mercy, we'd still all be dead. So verse 5, we have that as, 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 as Paul records for us in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5 here then is part of the transaction. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But there's hope we can live. And God did that transaction and he made us, he took us from dead to life. By grace you have been saved. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's the easiest definition that I can give you that helps you grasp that, I hope. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. Folks, you didn't deserve salvation. I know I didn't deserve salvation. 
I can't earn salvation, you can't earn salvation. And unfortunately, a lot of people teach you that if you just do enough good stuff, your good will outweigh your bad. That will never, ever, ever happen. It is an impossibility. We don't think about doing good as trying to earn your salvation. Remember what Paul just told you. You're dead. It takes an act of God to make you alive. You can't just talk your way out of it. You can't just do enough good works and then you're going to be fine. No, you have to come to the place where you trust Christ as your Savior to take you from death to life. But God being rich in mercy because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Then verses 6 and 7 here show us some of the benefits of our salvation. If it just kept you out of hell, salvation's the most amazing thing ever. But look at verses 6 and verses 7. Verse 6 tells us, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And that making alive, after he made us alive, that has consequences right now and has consequences in the future. Some of you here are still dead. And I'm going to tell you the most loving thing I could possibly tell you. That if you were to die in your sin as a dead person, you would go to a real place called hell. And I say that not lightly. I say that with no, with no anger. I'm just going to tell you straight, that's what's going on. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin. That whoever believes in him won't die, but will have eternal life. Go from dead to living. Then Paul tells us a few, he, he kind of fills in a little bit here. He raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what we have to look forward to. Because if you know Christ as Savior, someday you will spend eternity with Jesus, with God, in a real place called heaven. And heaven is not some crazy place where we're all sitting on um, clouds playing harps, okay? No, heaven's amazing. I've never been there, but I'm looking forward to going. Heaven's so amazing that we, we, we use gold to pave the streets, Heaven's so amazing because not only do we have the amazing blessings of all the physical things, but the most important thing is we're in the presence of Jesus forever. Then verse 7 says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that we can't even begin to scratch the surface of how amazing heaven is going to be, of all the blessings that we're going to have, of the amazing opportunity it will be to constantly praise the name of Jesus because we're in heaven.
But folks, make no mistake, it was not, we don't get saved to escape hell. We need salvation because we were dead. And that transaction has to take place in your life like it has in mine. And I'm not going to tell you that, oh, well, the transaction was easier for me than it was for you. It's not. For none of us in here was it an easy transaction, but it's God who paid the price through his son, Jesus Christ, to make it possible for you and I to even know, to comprehend, to even have a small idea of what it is to go from dead to living. Paul goes on, I'm not going to preach through these verses, but he goes on in verse 8. Maybe you've heard of it before. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. Then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And God's preparation for your good works and for, for mine are not based on just us naturally, it's after we have accepted Christ as Savior, after we have trusted Christ's finished work on the cross for me and for you. Sometimes we get it backwards as humans. We start, well, i got to do a lot of good stuff. i got to get myself cleaned up. Then God will accept me. Folks, here's the deal. God will never accept you as you, but he will welcome you with open arms through what Christ did for us. So you ask the question of yourself, and I can understand this, so what? What does all this mean? What's the point of all of this? Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to live? Are you ready to live? The simple fact is that some of you may be sitting here and you don't know Christ as your Savior. We want to start this weekend off right. We have 24 hours here, just about literally. They're going to keep us up crazy late. They're going to feed us all, all kinds of food. All you do at camp is run around and eat. Just saying, that's what we do, okay? And we're here for 24 hours, and you're going to sleep un poquito. And then your youth sponsor gets to drive you all the way home, and you get to sleep, and they got to, they got to stay awake. Been there, done that. Mount Pleasant, am I right? Testify. Just saying. It's a long trip home tomorrow. So we want to start off right tonight. Folks, there is nothing that you can do that would be better than knowing for sure tonight that you live because of what Christ did for you. And you're trusting what Christ did for you. You're repenting of your sin. You're trusting Christ for salvation. Because folks, right now you're dead. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, I know I'm dead. I, I know I don't know Christ as Savior. Convince me I need to. Hopefully you've seen that you need to. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I'm not 100% sure I know Christ as Savior. Somebody told me that I did once. I think I know what that means. I like to know things for sure. My mom probably ruined me. She would sometimes tell me what my Christmas presents were before we opened them. So now my wife hates it that I don't like surprises. Folks, I don't want you to have a surprise. I don't want you to think that, oh, yeah, I prayed a prayer one time, and so I'm good to go. Praying a prayer didn't save you. Mom telling you you got saved doesn't save you. Only Christ saves you. So if you have any doubt in that, time to take care of it. Are you ready to live? 
Finally, do you know what you believe? Many of you are sitting here going, Nick, I've heard this before. I know all of this. I know all about salvation. Yeah, but can you tell somebody about it? Can you explain the gospel to someone else? See, because you can sit in church for all of your life, and a lot of people sit in church all their life, and if you put a gun to their head and say, what's the gospel, they couldn't tell you. That's on us as pastors a little bit. We need to instruct our people on what the gospel is. Keep drilling it into our lives, because the gospel doesn't stop in your life and in my life as soon as we get saved. The gospel is just beginning. The gospel has real-world consequences when you accepted Christ and through all of eternity. But do you know what you believe? Can you tell someone this is the gospel? This is why you need salvation. And we're going to talk about a little bit more tomorrow, some of the outworkings of what it means to trust Christ, to know Christ as Savior. So tonight, I just want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. The guys are going to come, and we're going to sing just a song that many of you have probably sung at camp several times.